As I think most of you know, uh, once a week I go up to the seminary and I teach uh, the men there training to be priests. And this year, uh, it was very noticeable that there were a larger number of new men this year, but in particular that they were younger than previous years. And in fact, the last decade I've been teaching there, this has been a noticeable trend every year that the men have been getting younger and younger. So that this year, of the 12 young men that were starting, um, almost all were in their mid-20s, and three of them, in fact, were just 19 years old. As you might imagine, a young man today starting off to train for the priesthood, well, people ask him what he's doing and why. They're aware it's a very unusual thing they're doing. And a number of them this year have described to me the kind of questions that have been put to them. And they were the same kind of questions that were put to me when I once was a young man uh, starting out on the same road. And a lot of those questions relate to celibacy. Well, if you're going to be celibate, can you really be happy and celibate? Do you really want to be celibate? Do you think it's worth it? Well, that last question about whether it's worth it is, I think, the heart of the matter. And in many ways, I think why celibacy is so important today. That when you see a young man setting off for the celibate priesthood, it indicates publicly that this is a man who realizes that here is something so important that he's willing even to put aside the possibility of marriage. So I don't think that there's any greater single act of witness that a young man makes in a priestly vocation than being celibate, than being able in that very act to say to our modern world that thinks that, well, all that's really important is what you've got to have, what you've got to have if you're going to be happy, is you've got to have sex and worldliness and money. And, and the celibate young man is, in that very act, saying the reverse, that there is something beyond everything that our world says is essential that it's not essential that the one thing that is essential is the Lord. And obviously it's because celibacy, I think, is such a, a powerful sign that the media does rejoice when they find examples of priests who fail in their vows. But I think even those failures can't obscure the fact that the the vast majority of priests are faithful to their vows and are happy doing so. And it's a sign of the truth that there is more to life than just this passing world. Now I say all this today because in our second reading we heard St. Paul speaking about celibacy, speaking about loving the Lord with an undivided heart, as he put it, not a heart that is torn two ways. And of course, elsewhere, we know St. Paul also speaks about marriage, about the dignity of marriage, of the importance of marriage. And marriage, too, is a vocation, something people are called to. But our Catholic faith does teach, and popes have reiterated it repeatedly the last century, that 
the celibate state is, per se, a higher vocation. It's a more immediate means of union with the Lord. That in marriage, you are called to be united to the Lord through your spouse. You are called to to love the Lord through loving your spouse. But in the celibate state, the celibate is called to cleave to the Lord directly, to love him not through an intermediary, but directly. Well, I want to conclude here by noting how this is important for all of us. Because obviously the vast majority of mankind is called to marriage. Most of you here have been called to marriage. But the existence of celibacy teaches something for all of us. Let me note four very brief things. That first, the celibate's cleaving to the Lord with an undivided heart is a sign that all of us are called to put God first. As Jesus said, seek first the things of God, and these other things will be added to you. So if you have a spouse, your spouse isn't to be a distraction from your loving God, but is to be the means of your loving God, that God is to come first. Second, prayer, that the celibate state has as one of its kind of defining characteristics the ability to be more easily recollected, to be more easily focused, that as St. Paul puts it, to not be distracted by this world. And that's a sign to all of us that we should all be valuing prayer, that prayer has to have a high place in our life. And thirdly, what's often called the hundredfold, that Jesus promised that he would reward a hundredfold anybody who gives up anything for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, including, as he listed, giving up a spouse. And it's not just church teaching that the Lord rewards a hundredfold whatever we give up for him. But Christian experience down the century has again and again shown that When we give something up for the Lord, he rewards us. That he is, as is often said, the Lord isn't outdone in generosity. If we are generous to him, he gives even more back. And finally, the point about happiness and self-denial is the way to happiness. That celibacy is an act of self-denial. Celibacy is an act of putting aside the good of marriage for another good. And it's not a path to sadness, but a path to joy in the Lord. And this is an example of how all of our self-denial in life, whether it's in Lent or whether it's each Friday in our Friday abstinence, that when we give something up for the Lord, this is a path not to sadness, but to joy. If we give it up out of love, out of love for him. So celibacy teaches all of us an undivided heart that we should all be putting God first, a recollected heart that we should all be finding time for prayer, and that a hundredfold that the Lord rewards in excess everything we give up for him. And so this text from St. Paul about loving the Lord with an undivided heart has something to teach all of us.